And we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopta, C70 in the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman. And, of course, at is, 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 is the YouTube at, at Tara Wellman as well? Yes. Okay. So, yes, you should be following Tara. has got some cool stuff going on on YouTube right now. So go over and check that out if you haven't, which you probably have. You're probably subscribed. But if not, go subscribe. Um, Tara, last week we sat here and we kind of saw as the show went on that the players had made a counterproposal to the owners. And we kind of thought maybe this was going to put a little bit of a ball rolling. Um, except for, I, I think the owners finally officially rejected it. That's all that happened this week. Um, how how frustrated are you about the fact that obviously it really feels like July 4th baseball is out and baseball in general may be out? Well, I think it's been a weird process to try to digest on a lot of levels, right? Because there's so much else going on that it's almost hard to pay attention to just the negotiating process, except that that's really the only part of the baseball story that we're hearing about is the players want money. The owners want money. They don't want to give up any money in between. So there's no baseball. When in reality, there have been so many other layers to this process, primarily starting with the very reason that we're in this position. And that is the COVID-19 pandemic that shut everything down in the first place. So we haven't We've sort of stopped hearing as much about that part of this, and it's all become publicly, at least, about arguing over money, which is just a different kind of hard to process, I think, for us normal folks who aren't used to dealing in numbers that big. And then, of course, you add on top of that just the widespread unrest because of much more significant issues after the protests in the last couple of weeks, the conversations about racism and about uh, prejudices that show themselves in sports and outside of sports. And we're looking at a baseball discussion that is lost in the shuffle, but not necessarily for a bad reason. And yet there's still a lot going on behind the scenes or or perhaps not that much going on behind the scenes, but we're starting to see it boil over with some players, whether it's Jack Flaherty, there was what appears to be a concerted effort of messaging from at least some Cardinals players on Sunday, talking about how they're ready and they want to play with Instagram posts from Colton Wong and Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung. Uh, someone else, I think, oh, Harrison Bader, I think, was in that group as well. And so there's still a conversation happening about how baseball can happen, that players want it to happen, that fans are ready to see it happen. And yet there's this holdup where it really feels like the owners are just reiterating that they can hold the entire season hostage because of what we really learned this week is their control over when the season starts and what the schedule looks like. So back to that March agreement, that is what they're still fighting over now is that the players agreed to the prorated pay and they did that as a concession for service time and and that sort of thing. But the owners got control of what the season looked like as, as far as the schedule is concerned. And now it appears that's what they're hanging over the heads of the players. So while there have been a lot of other 
more important things going on in the world, this has been on that back burner in the last week, but just barely simmering at this point, which doesn't lead to a lot of hope for a season to happen at all. And then you get to the idea of if the owners demand a 50 game season, which evidently is in their purview, what does that look like? Because that sounds like it's just going to be a disaster of its own making. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a 50-game season, well, it's going to take you about 30 to 40 days to get ready for that 50-game <laughs> season. Um, because it's. I think they've kind of... If, the rule of thumb, the conventional wisdom, the idea is it's going to be probably about 10 days from when they sign any sort of agreement to when the players can start reporting and everything, because it's going to take them time to get the testing ready and all this other stuff. And then you're talking two or three weeks of, you know, drills and I guess inner squad games and things of that nature to get ready for the season. And at some point in time, they have to put a schedule together too. I don't know. Um, I would not want to be the schedule maker trying to do that in, <clears throat> in you know, in like two weeks or whatever no. the case might be. Um, although if it's only 50 games, maybe it's a little easier, but yeah, I just, there's so much there that seems ridiculous to the point that, you know, I've, I know we all miss baseball, but I'm almost to the point that you just scrap it for the year if that's all you're going to get. Because again, there's some idea of expanded playoffs and stuff, but if the owners unilaterally play a 50 game schedule, they don't get the expanded playoffs so you're gonna have the same playoffs yeah. that you've had the last little bit and you know i get the, i get some of the arguments i get that the owners at least in part want to make sure that that they get out before a second wave mainly because they don't want the playoffs wiped out because that's where they make all their money um but still there's got i mean it feels like there's got to be i mean you're not even playing you're, you may not even be playing a third of your regular season how do you take a 2020 season's or, you know, a champion or anything at all seriously. I mean, I just, yeah. I don't, I know that it's going to be weird no matter what you do, but if you can play about half a season, I think people can say, okay, well, you've played a decent enough of games. You've, it's, this is like small sample size all over. I mean, completely for a whole season. And that's mm -hmm. just nuts. Yeah. You know, I think the only thing that you can do, and in some regard, not having expanded playoffs, I mean, I don't know how much it matters just because in the sense of what does this season yeah. really mean? But someone, I can't remember who it was on Twitter this week, asked that question as it pertains to specific offensive numbers. You know, mm -hmm. if someone hits over 400, right. what do you do with that stat in a 50-game season? And my response then to that is the same thing I think I would say about a 50-game season in general is that you – acknowledge it as something really cool and pretty incredible, but totally removed from any sort of normalcy in the game of baseball. And you, you can't compare it to anything else as such. And that's the only way you could do a season like this. It's 50 games, play it out, determine maybe who wins something, but I don't giving someone a, a world series title in a 50 game season just doesn't seem Fair, it doesn't seem right because that creates a direct comparison to a normal season of, you know, three times that length. So I, I'm okay with it existing 
I don't know, okay with is not, that's a pretty lacking a lot of nuance there, but as far as if that's what happens, fine. I would be happy to watch 50 games of, of baseball, but what you do with the playoffs, you know, if you crown a champion, that seems a little strange to me because you can't compare this to anything else. Just like you couldn't compare someone hitting 400 for the duration of a 50 game season to any other season statistics in all of baseball history, because it just doesn't compare. Yeah. I, I made the joke on Twitter without looking it up um, that, you know, after 50 games last year, Alex still cared about um, Paul DeYoung's batting average. <laughs> Because Paul Young was, you know, that was one of those things he was going to track over the year. And I, I, I was kind of kidding because I didn't look it up. I knew it was, but actually, uh, it looks like after 50 games last year, Paul Young was hitting 305. So, yeah, that, that if you stop Paul Young's season there when he's hitting 305, 399, 535, that looks a lot different <laughs> than his final slash light of 233, 318, 444. I mean, you're thinking a lot better of Paul Young. I mean, there's, a lot of factors that we go into that. And I'm not yeah. saying that anybody's necessarily down on Paul DeYoung or anything, but I mean, you have a totally different opinion about him after that 50 games. And it's like, wow, he had a, a good season. Whereas well, it's a little bit different than the full season. And again, we've seen so much of it, a, a lot made of the fact that the, the nationals were 19 and 31 after 50 games last year, mm-hmm. even with the most expanded playoffs, you're not getting them in. Um, and that's a team that, that obviously won it all last year. It's it's so hard to to see that being a legitimate thing. And you're right. If it's on, we'll watch it. Um, but and again, besides the fact you got few games and you've got no fans and you've got this kind of weird social distancing stuff that's going on where you know players are not touching each other and not spitting and all this other hassle, you start thinking what what's going on here? What, are, what, where's the value is the value that you get out of it worth all the hassles that you're seeing. And yeah, you know, that's different, different spot for different people. But um, it now you, you mentioned that the players are out there advocating that they're ready to play. They want to play. Um, and obviously they have said, Hey, we want to play 114 games. We want to <laughs> play until, you know, December. We want to play. But, you know, the more they play, the more money they get, too. So let's let's not completely write it's it off. It's not entirely altruistic. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but if then baseball comes out and says, okay, you're going to play 50 games, that we're going to, like you said, they gave baseball that option when they made that March agreement, although there is a, some wording in there about them making the best effort to play the most games and, you could see them arguing that point. Can they argue that point when you're out there trying to make this idea that you're ready to play? Can you then go file a grievance and say, you're not letting us play enough. So we're not gonna play at all because if you file a grievance this year, the, the season's over. There's no way that gets hurt yeah. and everything like that. So does that obviously not legally, there's nothing that legal that stops them, but from a public relations point, are they kind of a little bit somewhat backed into a corner of having to just, maybe have to swallow hard and take whatever the owners give them. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, a weird, I mean, it's been a weird dynamic all along with the CBA on the horizon. It almost feels like they're 
trying to set up the future negotiations as much as they are managing the current ones, which is not a great look for public relations. It's not a great look as far as baseball fans are concerned, but it is perhaps a more long-term view than what the owners are, are taking in kind of isolating this season and looking at it as just a, a one-off scenario that they can, that they can manipulate, that they can twist, that they can, uh, you know, do whatever they want with without it affecting what is yet to come. That said, the other thing we've seen the owners do is take full advantage of a bad situation and turn it into something that they wanted all along, i.e. minor league baseball being a shadow of itself from here on out. So if they're trying to gain any leverage or back the players into a corner with the CBA coming up so that they maybe have to make some additional concessions because of what this season was, or, you know, hanging essentially the season over the heads of the players and saying, you want it? Okay, come get it. But if you don't, we'll shut it down and not care. That is the advantage that the owners have that then puts a lot of the onus back on the players for deciding what they will or won't accept from them. So that's why it gets a little fuzzy or, um, you know, a little, I, I don't even know, a little contentious for, for the fans because it always will look like it's the players who didn't want to play. And I think that's sort of the, the reason for whatever it is that we're seeing from Cardinals players. And I'm curious, I keep checking Instagram. Andrew Kisner also posted a we want to play, we're ready to play Instagram post. So there's something going on there. I don't know if it's more than just the Cardinals or if it's somebody sent out a group text like, hey, let's do this. And everybody else is just a little uh, little slow on the draw there. But we'll see uh, what happens there. It is interesting, though, to see uh, sort of a, a concerted effort to use the tools at their disposal to sway public opinion, which is something that the Players Association has not done a very good job of thus far, which is wild to me. They have all of this opportunity. They have all of these young players. They are the faces of these organizations. And they're they've really thus far been kind of content to to just fire back kind of weekly at Major League Baseball once they do their thing. And that that PR machine is well oiled and well rehearsed. And they know exactly what they're doing in order to drive the story in whatever direction they want it to go. So from a public relations standpoint, the Players Association could be and should be doing a whole lot more to inform the public of their side of this story because they're not just the bad guys case closed. There's a lot going on here, even if it's a little hard to understand from you know the layman's perspective. Yeah, I, I did think that maybe, of course... You know, Ken Rosenthal and, and even Derelic have been writing quite a bit on this whole thing and seem to be the ones breaking the most news. And they had the um, story from a couple of days ago about uh, basically, you know, some, some back and forth letters between MLB and the Players Union that got, quote, quote, leaked. I think <laughs> I imagine by now that just CC those guys on them, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> just easier just, just but um 
anyway, and it, you know, you, you got a little bit of, you saw a little bit of that fire, a little bit of that fight back against them, but you're right. I mean, right now, in some regards, MLB holds all the cards or, you know, does have the ability to put a season on if they want to of a length that they want to do. Um, and the players have to determine how far they want to go to hold their ground. And, and, you know, you're right. If there was a CBA from five years from now, instead of next year, this might be a different story, but I got to feel like the players are, are willing to, to dig in that they felt like they've lost a little bit and they're, and they're going to try to dig in. And I think we've seen that overall. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's a really tough situation to be in. And again, this was a, I mean, we were at, I think even what, probably a month ago, six weeks ago, whenever we were like, well, they're going to get this done and somehow. So they'll be ready to go by July 4th at the latest. Well, July 4th is less than four weeks away now. And <laughs> that's not going to happen. I mean, I just, I don't think the owners will completely shut it down, but I don't know. Is that even a, or is that a realistic possibility? Cause I mean, if you believe what the owners are saying, which is a big if of course, <laughs> but they would probably save a lot more money if they didn't play any games whatsoever this year. Yeah. You know, as far as what they would save or what they would lose or what the re revenues would be, none of that can be answered until mm -hmm. they open up those books to at least the players. They don't necessarily have to open them up to us, right. <laughs> but to, to the players and to the Aso players association to give them an idea of what those numbers really look like. And to this point, they have been completely unwilling to do that. And that's the only way that the players, I think, would move off of their position because the owners can't prove that what they're saying is true and, and they won't even make an attempt as far as we can, as far as we can tell. So would they shut down the entire season? Look, I think that they have put parameters in place all along that gives them that option where they hold all the cards, they at least can decide the important details, like what the season actually looks like. And if they don't get their way, they can put their foot down and say, well, then we're going to play zero games. Mm -hmm. And that is, I don't know if it's been the intent all along, but I do think that it's kind of the, the fail-safe option that they've had kind of their finger on that button all along. And I wouldn't be surprised to know that the Players Association is thinking along those same lines in their conversations and in their negotiations and in what they are proposing from their side is that, look, the owners can shut it all down completely. And there are obviously additional legalities with that. And it is what it is there. But that's that's a thing they have the power to do. And I would be lying to you if there were not times throughout all of this that I thought that was exactly what they were trying to get to, but to do it in a way that makes it look like it's all on the players and it's not just them taking their ball and going home. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a difficult thing to do because as much as they can put a lot on the players, the idea that I think it's well enough established that the owners have the, have the power of the schedule right now and to then say, okay, we're not playing at all. I, I don't know how you, again, with, with the players out there you know, saying they're ready to play. Um, 
I don't know how that, I don't know how you can spin that. So that looks good for you at that point in time. I think, I think that's true for people who are as plugged in as you and I are, but there are a lot of baseball fans who are not, who will undoubtedly stand by ownership because they are perceived as not being the ones refusing to take a pay cut when us normal folk have all been doing that as well. So somehow that narrative is still predominant with people who maybe aren't as active on Instagram to see all of these posts from the players or who aren't engaged in a community of baseball fans who are informed enough about the negotiating process to know the the strings that are being pulled behind the scenes. And as much as it feels sometimes like baseball Twitter is all of baseball fandom, <laughs> it's not. It's a It's a small portion of it. And there are enough people outside of that bubble that I think I don't think it would be as dramatically bad for ownership to shut the season down as you and I think it would be. And I think they know that wholeheartedly. That's, that's, that's fair. I do wonder. And again, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I could be wrong. You can, you can disagree. No, I, I, I mean, it's difficult to know because we are fairly, tied into all this stuff so we don't necessarily know what right. casual fans are thinking because they're not necessarily paying as much attention to the back and forth anyway you know do they even know who to blame you know are they automatically blaming the players or what and that's so it makes me wonder i mean it feels to me that the owners get almost all the blame for 94 and 95 for the cancellation mm-hmm. of the world series and things of that nature <laughs> but Maybe that's just because that's what I see. I don't, I don't see people, especially when you're talking about the history. Now, at the time, yeah, I think there was a lot of people blaming the, the players, um, but because especially because they went on strike, you know, that's a different, you know, yeah. um, and why would they do that and blah 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 blah. But I think history, it feels like, has cast it more as the owner's issue. Again, that, that that may be just my opinion. I just don't, I don't think I see as much even written about things that even leans toward the owners or the players being the fault as much anymore. So I wonder if you're right in the fact that the players may get blamed now, but it may not look good yeah. long term. But then again, baseball's never been real good about looking at the long term. They're worried <laughs> about, I mean, because... But granted, yeah. somebody pointed out today, I mean, what if, or the, not today, but sometime this week, it may have been Craig Edwards because he's done a lot of stuff on this too, but it's like, you know, are owners willing to, you know, realize that they might hold their ground now, but lose 5% and 10% of their, uh, of their attendance over the next couple of years and, you know, basically lose the money that, <laughs> that they're gaining that, now. That they're saving, yeah. Right. And it doesn't, it appears like it's a, you know, it's a, all or, all or nothing, zero sum game right now, and that's and that's so weird because almost all of these guys are people that made money in other places besides baseball, and they did it by investing and not you know not selling out and you know kind of <clears throat> taking the time and learning how to build this out and know how to make this something good. 
And then they come to baseball and it's like this hardline mentality of we're not spending a dime. And I, I don't get it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think in large part, it's the same thing that they're doing with the minor league situation mm-hmm. in that, oh, look, we can save money this way. And the development process in college has gotten better. The development process in, you know, high school age travel ball teams has gotten better. I mean, if you talk to Kyle Reese, he'll tell you that these kids are professionals by the time they're nine years old because yeah. of the way that they train and the way that they develop when you commit to baseball. So, owners are looking at that and and seeing, okay, maybe we don't need the same sort of structure that we've had before so we can save money there so that we can save face by paying the players just a hair more to get people off of our backs and, you know, then go about doing the things that we want to do to make more money at the top. And the problem with that is even if – even if you consider that a long-term view, right? Even if you look at that from the perspective of the owners thinking, okay, we can sort of redesign the minor league structure to make it more cost-effective, that actually hurts them in the long run because you're taking access and taking proximity away from fans that then generate that 5 or 10% of your attendance at a, a major league at the major league level. And in some cases, those are fans that aren't going to have regular access to major league teams, but they'll plan destination trips around going to see their team play. They will go to a a game where they're the away fans and they'll support that way. They'll do all of those sorts of things. They'll buy merchandise. They'll, you know, buy MLB TV if they're out of market, which is the only way you can watch it because otherwise you're blacked out literally everywhere. But nonetheless, (laughs) they're eliminating, they're eliminating some of that future fan base by restructuring minor league baseball now. And that's where, when you look at the long-term the long-term impact on the game, not just on the bottom line, that's where Major League Baseball seems to have a blind spot. And they're doing that with this as well. So, yes, the the players are the ones kind of putting their foot down and almost trying to force Major League Baseball to honor their original agreement, or, or not even the original agreement, the, the renegotiated agreement for the 2020 season. But it's the owners who still hold all the strings and can decide yes or no as any business owner can. And they're the ones who will be responsible if baseball doesn't happen this year. Yeah. And it's, um, it doesn't look like things are going to get any better anytime soon. So, um, I mean, honestly, right now, I, I just, you almost have to accept. I know that you said before we started the show that there was a, a report or some sort of headline that the owners would talk tomorrow about <laughs> seeing if they wanted to respond to the proposal. You know, you know mm-hmm. so basically, we'd be a week down the line from them actually doing anything. Um, it really feels like... It's, I, I, if we're going to see a season, it's probably going to be that shortened 50, 54 yeah. game season. I, I have, I mean, if nothing else, we just, you are going to run out of time. If they're not going to be flexible in, in playing after September regular season games, uh, you know, you just, you can't play triple headers. You can't play that many double headers. Um, there's just not going to be time. And so if there's going to only one to happen, it's probably, the owners are going to run out the clock enough to say, okay, here's the only only 
feasible option, take it or leave it. And I think the players probably take it, but it's a, uh, it's a mess of a situation all the way around. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up tonight, I am looking at the calendar this coming weekend, uh, this coming Saturday and Sunday would have been the London series. Um, mm. Hard to believe that, you know, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of bit of talk about that. You know, the Cardinals would have only played a handful of, you know, they had two days off going to London. Um, what other kind of things have you missed so far from the very beginning of the season? I mean, obviously we don't know the moments that would have happened, but, but things like that about the London series, about getting excited about talking about the, them playing in a in a whole different market and waking up at six o'clock to watch baseball or whatever it would have been um what other moments or things like that have you missed so far do you think if you think of any off the top of your head since i didn't actually prep you for this yeah i know man throwing that at me without (laughs) uh without any warning no the london series was something i was definitely looking forward to i know that there are a lot of people who maybe don't appreciate or or don't care about the value of kind of spreading the game around the world. But I just think I love that there's, there was going to be an opportunity for fans who are so new and are are so kind of newly passionate about the game of baseball to get uh, an up close look at it. And some not so new, right? Some have, have been kind of solo fans across the pond for uh, a long time. And this was an opportunity to see the game up close and, you know, I think it's just, it's special when you see someone else fall in love with something that you love as well. And so I guess to be able to share that love of the game with people all around the world and, and to see the excitement in the stands. I mean, I know we've talked about just how much energy there is when the Cardinals played in Mexico or when, you know, games have been played in Puerto Rico and, and what that means to some of the international players who get to either play at home or be perhaps closer to where friends and family are and that sort of thing. So I was definitely looking forward to that. I, I think it would have added an interesting layer to the rivalry as far as Cubs and Cardinals go. Um, but I mean, as far as specific things I was looking forward to this season, um, this is a little bit general, but man, I, I was really looking forward to seeing the next evolution, next bit of the evolution of Jack Flaherty, because yeah. the second half of last year was absolute insanity and there wasn't really anything slowing him down. So I was curious to see how he came out this season um, obviously the, the potential return to the rotation for Carlos Martinez is something that I was talking about for a, a lot of the off season, which feels like five years ago at this point, I'm trying to remember what we were even excited about heading into the season, but those two things were pretty interesting. And then, you know, it's seems kind of lame to say, but whenever Dylan Carlson was going to get the call up, maybe we would have been looking at that at this point in the season, um, keeping him at bay, keeping him in AAA for, you know, just long enough to to fix something defensively or whatever it was that they decided to to say he needed to work on before, <laughs> before he got the call up. So those moments, those kind of debut moments or seeing a guy step into that next phase of his career. Um, those are the things that I think I was the most intrigued by going into, well, what would have been the last couple of weeks of spring training and the opportunity to see those stories play out. Um, you know, and if, if we don't get to see them play at all, then of course that'll be disappointing. But even if we do, 
there's a whole new layer to that as well because there's been such a long layoff and now we don't know what the rosters are going to look like much less how you're going to manage them so it even even if this season happens even if it's only 50 games we're not going to get what we would have had the season played out um you know like we expected it to to do back when uh, you know we used uh carrier pigeons to communicate or however long ago that was. <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned Dylan Carlson and somebody pointed out on talking about this, if there's only a 50 game season, that probably hurts Dylan Carlson's yeah. chances of being called up. Cause do you want to waste a year of service time on a guy that's only going to play a handful of times? And still what we, we talked about, okay, the Cardinals need to sort out their outfield. They need to let, extra Fowler play. They need to let Harrison Bader play. They need to let Tyler O'Neill play and Lane Thomas and all these guys. You know, it's one thing to have expanded rosters and 80-something games, and maybe you can work your work around and have a rotation, but if there's only 50 games, I don't, I don't think that you bring Carlson up, and that's... I don't think anybody would have ever thought that, oh, we're going to have 2020 and, and Dylan Carlson's not going to be part of it. But that seems to be where we're at. And as for as for Jack Flaherty, uh, without we run the risk of going a little longer here. But obviously, we've seen an evolution of Jack Flaherty online. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's you know whether it's the protests and the things of that nature, or it's the 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 money, the business side of the game, Flaherty is not not holding back at all and not really concerned about what that might do for his career overall or in St. Louis in particular or anything like that. And, you know, to to the the team's credit, we've not heard any thing that's, you know, seemed like it's causing an issue, but especially on the non-baseball issues, it'd be kind of nice if they came out and maybe supported him a little bit too. It would be very nice if the Cardinals, in and of themselves said anything about anything that wasn't a very uh, vanilla joint statement with the blues as if they don't have their own voice at all. But yes, as far as Jack Flaherty is concerned, honestly, I, I love it. And I know this probably isn't super surprising if anyone's listened to me for any length of time, because I think part of the, the, problem with marketing the game of baseball is not utilizing the voice of the players and is not showcasing who they are as people and and who they are as personalities. Now, that's a two-edged sword, right? Because you can have someone who speaks out like Jack Flaherty and is met with a ton of support. There are a lot of people in the world of baseball who likely don't share his views, whether it's about Black Lives Matter or whether it's about where the the players stand and what they should be doing with their their time or whether it's about you know politics or sports or you know whatever it is there are probably a lot of people in this game that revealing their personalities would not add to their uh their value <laughs> as far as fans are concerned and that's a part that's you know the flip side of this coin but as far as Jack Flaherty is concerned specifically He's done a lot of work in the last couple of seasons kind of on his own because it doesn't see as far as I can tell, there's no one really teaching these guys how to do this and how to become kind of part of pop culture in the way that you see NFL players or NBA players doing. And he's taken a lot of that on himself. I know he spent some time, which 
now there's, I, I guess, a dark cloud over anything relating to the Astros. But he spent some time with Alex, uh, with with Bregman, mm-hmm. and seen how he's done some of his sort of self branding. I know he spent some time with Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez hosted a handful of players a couple of times and talked about kind of the business side from an individual perspective and how to establish their voice and and use their brand and take advantage of their platform. And Jack Flaherty's done a lot of that in the last couple of years, kind of quietly, a little bit subtly, but it's been building. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing things that Jack Flaherty cares about. And he's kind of become the face of the Cardinals as far as Major League Baseball is concerned. I don't know if you notice it, but anytime there's a an Instagram takeover or an Instagram live or a, a live chat or a whatever it is, it's typically Jack Flaherty. And he's the guy that that kind of ends up in the pr- promotional videos for Major League Baseball and, and that sort of thing. So what he's done is working as far as getting the eyes of baseball fans to recognize who he is. And now he has a chance to speak out about things that are, are really important to him, whether it's the the rights and the um, interests of fellow players or of the black community or of, you know, whatever it is that he's talking about on the internet these days, he isn't afraid to use his voice. And that's not always going to be easy for him as far as public reception is concerned. It's probably not always going to be easy as far as his teammates are concerned, because we saw how an outspoken individual can be um, perceived or, or how that can come across when there was one, um, you know, Tommy Pham in the clubhouse, <laughs> although he was he's a little less. Um, I don't know. I don't think Jack Flaherty quite has the same edge that Tommy Pham mm-hmm. had at times, even though the outspoken nature is still there. So I don't know. I'm sort of rambling because I, I think I've been so impressed with who Jack Flaherty is and the way that he carries himself and the leadership qualities that he has. And then to be willing to take on real life issues as well as, you know, baseball issues is pretty impressive for someone who is relatively young and doesn't have their entire career established already. There's a lot yet to come for him as far as what future contracts look like and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be afraid of that or dissuaded by that at all, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And it's, it is, it is very interesting to see a card duel, especially be kind of at the forefront of this. And everybody said the clubhouse was boring. So um, maybe, maybe not as much with, with Mr. Flaherty <laughs> in there. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Anyway, it could use a little flavor. It, 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 could, it couldn't hurt at all. So, all right. Well, that's another week. Um, hopefully by next week we're talking. If nothing else, hopefully we have some sort of resolution. I almost have to. I mean, you know, to get to get a season started, um, <laughs> if they don't know anything by next week, by next Sunday, um, it feels very difficult to see that they're going to get anything done at all, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, hopefully we have some better things to talk about next week. So until then, that's Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search gateway to baseball heaven under podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.